0: So we finished a sermon series last week. Well, we pretty much went with the church gear last week on Pentecost. I preached a Pentecost sermon. The week before that, I preached on the ascension of Christ, uh, and that is found in the first chapter of Acts. Of course, Pentecost is found in the second chapter of Acts, so I decided that I had started a new series without really realizing it until I was trying to figure out what to preach on today. So today, we're continuing a look through the events of the book of Acts. Now, some people call it the Acts of the Apostles. Others call it the Acts of the Holy Spirit. One might more, most appropriate, appropriately call it the Acts of the, the Apostles through the power of the Holy Spirit. And what it does is it gives us a glimpse of that early church and no m- more clearly than in the passage I've chosen for today, which is Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. Is a picture of that early church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This gives us a picture of what that early church was like, and we might say, well, is that picture descriptive or prescriptive? In other words, does it just say what they were doing, or does it say what we should be doing? And there are many sermons I've heard about how this is what we should be doing. And other sermons that say this is what they did, but not necessarily what will happen to us. And what I want to say is typical of me. Um, I'm more often a both-and kind of guy than an either-or kind of person. So here, we have both. We have a picture of the early church, and some of the things that happened there are unique to them. And some of the things that happened there, and the spirit underlying the things that happened there, are for all of us. And what they do is they give us a picture of what makes for a healthy church. Now, if many of you I know, I've heard you tell me that You have, in days gone by, read Rick Warren's books, maybe The Purpose-Driven Church or The Purpose-Driven Life. And in those books, we find five things that the church and our own lives should be about. They are fellowship, discipleship, worship, service, and evangelism. And we find all of those right here in this passage. At my previous church, we did a a church development program called Natural Church Development, and it looks at the marks of a church through through research and what makes a church healthy, what makes a church effective, and they found these eight things. Empowering leadership, gift-based ministry, passionate spirituality, effective structures, inspiring worship services, holistic small groups, need-oriented evangelism, and loving relationships. Tim Keller chimes in, and he has five things that mark the the true church. He said vibrant worship, deep teaching, intimate fellowship, aggressive evangelism, and I don't think that means punching people into the kingdom, but um, a real sense of urgency with regard to evangelism, and compassionate social concern. And we as Presbyterians have all agreed to um, what's in our book of order as the six great ends of the church, which are proclamation of the gospel for the salvation of humankind. Notice how the Presbyterians add so many more words than any of the other ones. Um, (laughs) The shelter, nurture, and fellowship of the children of God, the maintenance of divine worship, the preservation of the truth, the promotion of social righteousness, and the exhibition of the kingdom of heaven to the world. And all of these share some very fundamental ideas about, the, what the, about what the church is supposed to be. And many of those are found right here in verse 42. They devoted themselves to teaching, the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread. And the connotation there is, is a meal, but also communion. They were... At each meal, probably, according to the historical research, they enjoyed the sacrament of communion. So they had fellowship, but they also had worship at their uh, common table. And to prayer. And it's easy, and the last time I preached this passage, I used that as my outline. Those things that are found in verse 42 as the outline for um, what I preached, but then I realized that 43 through 47 have a lot to say, too, and give us a a bit more nuance into how they lived. One person uh, said that this passage can be summarized by what matters, the teaching, the fellowship, the worship, the prayer, the outreach. Who matters? Initially, the believers, the building of community, the building of generosity among the believers, and also the outreach to the community when matters. And that's an interesting thing. In verse, and I don't know why the NIV uh, did not translate this the way it really means in the Greek. In verse 42 and in 46, there's a word that means steadfastly and continuously. So in verse 42, they steadfastly and continuously devoted themselves to the Apostle teaching and the other things. In verse 46, every day they continued steadfastly and continuously to meet together in the temple courts and in their homes. So when matters, meaning always, a lot. And we might ask ourselves, which of these things are the descriptive things? And which of these things are the prescriptive things? First, we look at the um, verse 43. Everyone was filled in awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Now, do we have a lot of wondrous signs happening in our midst? not really probably the same as the ones that they experienced then. And the, the reasoning for this, as the commentators have looked at it through the, the centuries to figure out why, is that this was the early stage. And often in, uh, in Scripture we find that at the very beginning of a movement there is a movement of the Holy Spirit that's more miraculous. When Moses was uh, getting ready to take the people out of Egypt, there were many miracles that were performed because God was establishing this as a huge next step for his people and Here there were miracles that were happening to establish the Church of Jesus Christ and we don't experience that same kind of miraculous presence today usually But we still experience God at work My in-laws were telling me yesterday about, or that was Friday, wasn't it? Friday, about the praise team director in their church who uh, got a new job in, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, uh, in uh, Las Vegas. Wasn't sure where to live and went visiting another church because he had a Sunday off and was talking to someone there and discovered that that person, I think it was his sister, her sister, had a place in the same suburb of Las Vegas that this guy was being hired to serve in, and had a room or an apartment in that place that was empty. And what he kept saying over and over again was, what are the odds? (laughs) What are the odds? And Devin and I say the same thing about our move here. It was just so many things that fell into place to guide us to know that this is where we're supposed to be. And if you ask committee members on the PNC, so far, they are saying that there were many steps along the way that proved to them that, this, that I was the one who was supposed to be here. I don't know how they're gonna reinterpret that if they get tired of me, but... Um, <laughs> but we, we saw God at work, and if you open your eyes, You see God at work more often than you do if you're not looking. And God still is at work. God still does amazing things in our midst. It's just a matter of opening our eyes and not just saying, what are the odds? But what this guy was saying is, what are the odds? Of course God was at work. But we say, God is at work. The next thing. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to everyone who was in need. Now that verse is one of the scariest verses to American capitalists that is in the whole of the Bible. What do you mean, they say? The early church was communist? No, communists are bad. We can't be communist. There must be something wrong here. Well, many preachers and commentators fall all over themselves to try to explain how this is not communism. It doesn't take much to see that this is not communism. For the first thing, all of this was done willingly. The people realized that they had excess, and they realized that someone else had need. So it was natural for them, as they experienced this fellowship, this this awe and wonder of knowing God in a whole new way, of being in a whole new type of community that they wanted to give to each other. And in a verse, just a couple of verses later, it says they met in each other's homes. That means they still owned homes. So it's not, it's not the same as communism. It's not the same as someone saying you have to give and we'll share equally. But the spirit of this I think a lot I think what has happened is because we are so against communism we don't like that idea that we lose the spirit of what this passage is saying that spirit of strong generosity of acknowledging that what I have what I think I own I don't really own it belongs to God and what I have what I own is not something that I need to grab onto but it's something that's been entrusted by God to me that I might share with others. That spirit of sharing takes us a few extra steps to get to in our culture because our culture is so much about personal ownership and personal success. But the kingdom of God is not about personal success or personal ownership, the kingdom of God is to be shared. And that's the spirit of what we see in this passage a sharing among the people. And just skipping back to verse 42, the apostles' teaching. Teaching is important. I don't know how to even calculate the number of messages you hear every day that are counter to the message of Scripture. In casual conversation, on songs on the radio, in those talk stations on the radio where they tell you what to think, on TV, in movies, there are so many messages that bombard us. How do we know what to believe. How do we know what's true? Well, the early church knew what was true because if it came from an apostle, they believed it came from God. The Holy Spirit inspired, inspired certain people to give them a message they could count on. And so the apostles, when they taught, were inspired by the Spirit so that people knew, okay, amidst all the changing words that I hear all the time, this is what I can count on. Now is that a just then or is that still today kind of thing? Well, we don't have apostles anymore, and if someone sets him or herself up as an apostle, uh, you might want to walk the other way. But we do have the the apostles' inspired word, right here. And amid all these words that we hear, amid all these messages that bombard us, how do we know what's true? Here's how we know. We have the Word of God. The Word of God tells us what is true, and yet if it gets dusty by sitting on your shelf unopened, it's not doing you any good. If you have one copy or 12 copies sitting on your shelves getting dusty, they do you the same amount of no good. This Word is a gift to us we should be dedicated to learning what it says and there's a there's a strong sense as you read through this that all of these activities are collective activities now there is a wonderful and very important place for personal bible study but there is also a very wonderful and important place for shared bible study getting together with other believers and Learning together what God is saying as iron sharpens irons the the scripture says so we sharpen each other when we come before the Word of God together What about and I touched on this a bit already the fellowship and generosity Was that a unique thing just to them or an ongoing thing? Of course the um, The sharing of resources we talked about, but how about the sharing of lives? John Stott said, God's purpose is not merely to save isolated individuals and so perpetuate loneliness. God's purpose is to build a church, to build a redeemed people for his own glory. I may have told you about one of my professors at Penn, uh, who was a sociology professor, uh, E. Digby Baltzell. What better name can there be than that for a sociology professor, to make you want to listen to what he says. Well, E. Digby Baltzell was the man who years ago coined the term WASP for white Anglo-Saxon Protestant as he studied sociology. E. Digby Baltzell got to know me and a couple other um, of my classmates in his class, and he was fascinated by us. He was so fascinated by us that he invited us over to his house on Delancey Street in Philadelphia. The reason he was fascinated by us is because we were in a Christian organization on campus that included people from Taiwan. People from China, people from California, of Indian descent, African Americans, Caucasian Americans, all kinds of people. And as a sociologist, he was intrigued by this because he saw more often than not in society that groups got together in groups that looked more like them, with people who were their type, so to speak. And he saw in this Christian group a wide variety of people, and he said, this fascinates me. And he was willing to concede that it was the shared message of the gospel that brought us together, people who were very different from each other, brought together by a shared identity, and that identity is in Jesus Christ. And this is one of the most important uh, lessons I think anyone can learn about the gospel, is that it changes your identity. You become someone who is in Christ. And that becomes and definitely should become your primary identity. Who are you? I am a son of God, an adopted son of God. You are a son or daughter of God, an adopted son or daughter of God. You are an ambassador of the kingdom of God. That is your primary identity if you are in Christ. Now, we don't always live like this, we live as if we're a stockbroker or Not to pick, but a mail carrier or whatever else other jobs there might be, or a teacher or a nurse, whatever. We act as if our primary identity is as a a husband or a father or a mother or an aunt or a grandmother or a grandfather. And we get caught up in all those things, and we we invest so much in those things of this world Earth that, that our being in Christ is a little sideline that we experience once every once every once in a while. Some of you every week, some of you every other week. Some of you, uh, well, we won't get into that. <laughs> some of you here. Some of you at another church. Some of you are in a Bible study group or a prayer group somewhere else. Some of you have fellowship with other members of this church. It's very interesting to notice here that they met, and that word again, steadfastly and continuously together in the temple courts, which is the equivalent of here. And in each other's homes because their identity was primarily in Christ because that's who they knew they were Beyond anything else and above anything else. They knew that that was What they needed to cultivate in their lives So they met together with those who shared this identity and made sure to encourage each other in that identity in their service to God in their participation in the kingdom of God steadfastly and continuously It's important to have both, that time here and that time in homes, to have friends who encourage you in your walk with Christ. The next thing we see is worship, the breaking of bread, and I love the term here, with sincere hearts. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts. And this, when I was talking about this with someone recently this week, about how we come to church and dress in our best, or, you know, in the summer, not the best best, but, you know, we get close. And... We look like we're all put together, and we make sure that other people see us and think, oh yeah, they're, they're, pretty, they're pretty much on the ball. And so you look around, and you know you're not on the ball, and you look around at all these people who look like they're on the ball, and you think, oh my goodness, there's something so wrong with me. Why do I have all the problems, and no one else in this whole place has any problems? And the person next to you is looking at you and saying, why don't they have any problems? Why do I have all the problems? best way to be community is to be honest with each other. Now, that doesn't mean that you stand up here and we have everyone come up and tell your deepest, darkest secrets to everybody. But it means that you find people within the church with whom you can be honest, with whom you can share who you really are, what your current struggles are, what your problems are and what your joys are. And as Scripture says, we rejoice with those who rejoice and we mourn with those who mourn. Because not only is our primary identity in Christ, but that primary identity means that a huge part of our identity is that we are brothers and sisters together. And we come And we stand before God and we worship God with sincere hearts because No matter how Together we feel or how broken we feel God has redeemed us from everything that kept us from him God has given us a new identity And in verse 42 the breaking of bread and to prayer I am so grateful for everyone here and everyone in my previous churches and everyone who was part of this church who continues to pray for us. It is said that prayer is the resource least used by the church. Folks, let's not be a church that that can be said about. Let us be prayerful to discern what God's will is, prayerful to find God's power and strength to believe what he's calling us to do and then to step out and do it. Prayer is foundational. We cannot miss it. And it's interesting in Scripture. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't pray for Aunt Sally's big toe that she stubbed on the kitchen uh, counter the other day. Well, I don't know how she'd stub it on the kitchen counter. Maybe she's a, a Rockette or something. But anyway... It's important to pray for the health of others, and there, there are scriptures that speak of that. But the prayer for the church typically, and Paul prays this way in Ephesians chapter 1 and Ephesians chapter 3 and Colossians chapter 1, he prays for the church to get it. He prays for the church to understand God's love and to experience God's love. He prays for the church to understand God's call and to live God's call. That is a huge part of our, that should be a huge part of our prayer lives as well, that we pray for the church to be the church and to experience then God's power and presence to equip us for that. And then, of course, outreach. It was natural for them. Do you notice? It doesn't say they worked really hard to reach into their community. It says they enjoyed the favor of all the people because they were winsome. One of my favorite evangelistic words is winsome. Because winsome is someone, someone who's winsome is someone that you naturally are drawn to. They're a person who is kind and compassionate. And in a sense charming and this church their fellowship was so rich and their love was so evident that people saw it and they knew that God was at work and that is what our fellowship should be like too. now remember this is descriptive this was the early part stages of the church where God was doing a new thing but that does not mean that God does not want to do similar things now probably just usually not to the same extent but God wants his church to be winsome God wants his church to be a community that draws other people in it should be natural if you love the Phillies, you talk about the Phillies. And I know it because I hear you talk about the Phillies. (laughs) If you love the Lord our God, it should be natural for you to talk about the Lord our God. If you love Jesus Christ and what Christ has done for you, it should be natural for you to talk about what Christ has done for you. So all of these things, all these measures of what makes a church effective, not once does it speak of the size of the building, not once does it speak of how good the praise team is or how good the preacher is. It speaks of faithful fellowship centered around God God's Word, worshiping God, and encouraging each other. And that is my prayer for us. Speaking of prayer, let us pray. Gracious God, we thank you for your love for us, for your grace poured into our lives, and thank you for each other. Lord, I give you deep thanks for every person in this room because they are my sisters and my brothers and we are called together to be the church not separated off trying to do our own thing because that according to your word does not work but we are called to be those who find strength and encouragement in each other who side by side do the work of the kingdom of God who strengthen and encourage each other and it is my prayer lord god that that is what you do here at ridley park presbyterian church and we do pray for those who are struggling either with sickness or or discouragement whatever it is and we pray that your holy spirit would move in them to bring healing And on this Father's Day, we pray thanking you for those fathers who are good and godly examples to their children, for those grandfathers who are good and godly examples to their grandchildren. And even as we pray that prayer, we also pray for those who are experiencing maybe the first year without their father on this earth, or maybe the 20th year, but the pain is still there. And we pray for those who experienced poor relationships with their fathers. And we thank you for the words of the song we sang earlier, that you are a good, good father. And we ask that you replace your love in those people's hearts. That you put your love there to replace the faulty love that they experienced before. We pray for those who have poor relationships with their Fathers are their children now, and we pray for healing. And we pray for strength when that healing does not happen. We lift up to you those who just assumed that they would be fathers, but that gift never came to them. And we pray for your encouragement wherever we are in this life to find our identity in you, in your call upon our lives, in our relationship with you through Jesus Christ, and in our participation in your reign over this, over our lives. And then we anticipate your reign over the new heaven and the new earth and pray for strength to exhibit that kingdom into this world. Build your kingdom here, Lord God, in us and through us. In Jesus' name, amen.